on this week's Boko Radio, we play Big Deal or Not a Big Deal with Iowa and the Big Ten. We figure out what's going on across the conference. We talk about the Bill in California to let players make a little bit of money. And we give you your picks for the week. Sit back, relax, and get ready for the boom. Michigan unbeaten no more. Piling on now is Iowa as they crack the 50 mark against the mighty Buckeyes. But when his number was called, seven got six. Welcome to Spoko Radio, presented by Black Cart Gold Pants, SB Nation's community for the Iowa Hawkeyes. Before we kick things off today, just want to give a shout out to our buddy Z. We're thinking about you, bud. We love you. Love you, Z. Love you, Z. With me, as always, it's Jerry Sherwin. Jerry, how you doing? I got my khaki pants on, I got my headset on, and I'm ready to get to this Michigan game so badly. Were you inspired either by Jim Harbaugh's khaki pants or Wisconsin's khaki pants last weekend? Harbaugh's khaki pants, which was inspired Wisconsin's khaki pants. There we go. Got that. And also, it's the people's champ, David Johnson. Champ, how you doing? So the real question is, Jerome, did you get your khaki pants at Walmart like Jim Harbaugh likes to do? No, I got them at Blaine's Farm and Fleet. Blaine's? People actually shop at that store? Well, I'm sure somebody does. <laughs> I mean, I've been in a Blaine's Farm and Fleet fairly recently. I feel like a lot of our fans probably have shopped at a Blaine Far- Blaine's Farm and Fleet. I, I mean, I love their commercials. I just can't say I've ever shopped in their store. We are detouring very quickly here, but they literally have everything. Like, anything you could possibly need, they have it. So it's a Do they have one-gallon a... gas cans? Because I need one desperately. Probably. With Jer and I just moving, it's probably a good stop for us to check out. We need, you know, some moving supplies for <laughs> the new house. I don't know houses. if I want to go to New Jersey's Blaine's Farm and Fleet. <laughs> it's a Midwest, it's a Midwest establishment. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, subscribe to the show if you're a new listener. Uh, wherever you guys get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you guys get your podcast, subscribe to the Blackheart Gold Pants podcast feed. Follow us on Twitter at bhgp at Shy People's Champ at Jerry Sherwin and I'm at Dave Cray. We have a voicemail line, 224-661-0909. Leave voicemails during the game, during Iowa games on Saturdays, during the other Big Ten games on Saturdays. While you're drinking. While you're drinking, if you're sober, whatever. Just give us some reactions to games. We're going to compile those and play the best ones each week. Again, that number is 224-661-0909. All right, guys, let's kick off the show this week. There's been a lot of news in the, about the sport, about college sports overall, kind of happened out in California. They signed a bill that basically allows student athletes to earn money off of their likeness, uh, and it is illegal for schools to punish those student athletes for doing so. And this won't go into effect until 2023. There's going to be a lot of legal back and forth, and there's been a ton of back and forth on Twitter, on the internet, everywhere about consequences of doing this, how this is going to destroy the NCAA. I don't want to get into too much of that, but here's my one question to kick the show off with our outside zone this week. Do you guys think that there are any unintended consequences of college players being able to pay to be paid off of their likeness? Champ, let's start with you. So I'm going to think outside the box here. Mine is not going to be probably a typical answer for most people. I'm going to go along the lines of the money being made by these athletes. And I think the the reaction that the money – that they're going to have this money and they're going to be – it's going to be burning a hole in their pockets. And they're going to be going out and doing reckless things with this money. For example, a college athlete, a young male, has a lot of money. What are they going to go and do? They're going to go buy probably liquor. They're going to go to gentlemen establishments maybe. And that's going to get them into trouble. So I think this, that's going to be a big unintended consequence of this is the money that these guys are going to be making, especially you know the star players on these star teams, probably going to be making some good money signing autographs, you know, taking pictures, all that kind of stuff. And I think it's going to lead them to get in some serious trouble outside of football. I think they're going to go out and do things they shouldn't be doing with the money they have, and that is going to lead to suspensions and guys not being, pl- be- being able to play when it really matters, and then that's not going to be good for anybody. Champ, 
A couple years ago, you and I and DC and our buddies, they were all in Indianapolis. You and I decided to take a venture to another establishment late that night. And you're going to tell me that the star players at Ohio State without that extra money weren't already there? I mean, they probably were, but now they No, they were 100%. We were there. That is a good point. I forgot about that. With (laughs) no money, technically. Yeah, but imagine if they have money, though. It's going to be even worse. Here's the. Okay. But here's the deal. They have stipend money already. They already have the bags being dropped. You're talking about star players here. Let's not pretend like they're not getting anything right now. These guys are getting some sort of money from whether it be agents, from the coaches, from boosters, from their their parents who are getting money through the agents and the boosters. Somehow, some way, these guys have money to be able to go and do these things anyways. I don't foresee that being a very big deal. The unintended consequence that I see is that the Pac-12 might have just stuck around a little bit longer than I thought they were going to. Brings it back to the Pac-12. Shocking. So, actually, to this point, though, Champ, I think you do have one thing kind of right, getting in trouble getting in trouble, kind of with this type of stuff. I don't think there's the money there that everyone makes it out to seem. If you're dealing with local communities, local businesses in the immediate college towns, they don't have the marketing, the advertising, the sponsorship budgets that are going to be bringing money hand over fist to these college kids. What they could do in turn is maybe get a car, right? Get a car from a dealership and do that type of stuff. And then who knows what can happen? What kind of trouble they can get into with a car? We see DUIs all the time, especially with college kids because they're stupid. So in that case, Champ, I think there's something you could be. It might not be money related, but it might be because they're given a car for an endorsement that they, you know, get into some trouble with that. Yeah, very good point. I could see, you know, a Chevy dealership in Alabama wanting <laughs> – Tua to come by, sign, you know, 400 pictures every Saturday for two just months. Just do a commercial. Yeah, or just do a commercial, you know, hi, this is Tua. And, and what, I'm he gets a Bubba. Chevy Impala? And Who then gives he gets a shit? An, and then he gets an Impala, and he's just driving around recklessly, drinking. I mean, you never, they're college kids. People are young and stupid. They I mean, make mistakes. How many, how many college kids, or how many Iowa football players have gotten pulled over, basketball players have gotten pulled over while on their scooters? Exactly. They're doing it anyways. That's, right, that's my what point. I'm saying, that's not that's an unintended consequence. With a, car, with a car, you can do a lot more damage if you're driving drunk. Sure, of course you can. I'm not condoning this. Right, I'm just saying I'm, that these kids, for the majority of times, they have cars already. Or they have scooters. That's fa- and that's fair. I'm just saying you could get into more trouble. You could cause more harm to other people than just yourself if you're getting okay. a car that's been but, given to you. But again, that that's just me kind of helping. Understood. But we're also talking about these kids that leave college basketball after one year and they go and get all these millions of dollars from the NBA, and they're not just ri- raging their car into the sides of buildings at night. Unless you're Jay Williams. Well, our, wow. yeah, don't, don't even get me. This is this is how you trigger me every I'm week. Sorry, but I mean, Jared, you bring up a good point, and this is actually my unintended consequence. It's maybe, and it's a good thing. Maybe these kids then get a few extra dollars in their pockets. They can send it back home if their families need it for whatever reason. But then they stay in school. They go get their degree because they already have some extra income coming in. They don't have to leave early for whatever reason to try to make the. Like no. to try to get that big contract, but think of the the stats that we see year year after year now. More and more kids are leaving school early. There's not that many spots for these kids to get drafted and make life ultimate, especially with with basketball. There's two rounds of the NBA draft. How many guys leave early who don't get drafted and now they're just in the G League or they're going? Yeah, they're the G Europe. League or they go to Europe, but they go to Europe and they make 150 to 350 thousand dollars. We're talking about maybe a forty thousand dollar car or less. I mean, is it really worth staying around for ten grand? To get a degree, and then you're also still. Uh, what's out? a degree if I'm going to go play in Europe for ten years? Okay, a, a career in Europe's not going to. It's not the. Like, you still have to come. You have to come back and do more. You're not making life-altering money to retire off of. I guess I just really don't see what the negative is here. Like if in that's any a other, positive in my mind. No, I, I will, but I'm just saying in any other aspect of life or business, if I create – like this podcast, for example. If the three of us make this podcast to be able to earn $10,000 from a dealership who wants to have us host a podcast at their place or at a bar, we get that money because we deserve it. We sure. created that. Yeah. So why isn't it the same for the athlete? Because they're amateurs? This is bullshit. There's a billion white guys making billions of dollars every year, and they're the only ones that want to hold it in. I don't think any of us are arguing that they shouldn't get the money. That's not at all what I'm arguing. The question was asked, unintended consequences of this happening, and that's 
the first thing I thought of is five grand burning a hole in some random college kid's pocket that they're going to go out and spend recklessly and do dumb things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think we all agree that it should be, it should happen. Like, I'm, I'm thinking positively in unintended consequences. Sure, these kids are getting paid, but maybe it actually keeps a couple of extra kids in school for, for a full four years and they get their degree. I mean, yeah, I can see that. I could see guys, you know, making that kind of money if they're making good money in college that they, they're yeah. like, you know what, I'm going to stay, I'm going to grow here in college, and I'm going to be a seasoned pro when I go into the NBA or the NFL or whatever it is. And maybe it's because I'm the, the captain optimist, but, like, there's an opportunity here for kids that are backups but to have a strong brand, quote-unquote, that have a good social um, media type of experience that people follow. They think they're funny. They make really funny TikTok videos. And Mark they have Titus. such a good following. Exactly. A Mark Titus of the world that they would be able to go and make extra money even though they're a bench rider. It opens up a whole realm of possibilities. I just don't see consequences in this at all because no. this is a free market. This and is what business is. Con- I mean, consequence, I think you're taking it as a negative connotation to it. But I think that there are positive oh, right. unintended consequences to it. There's positives that can be oh. taken from this. Well, I've been named all the positive ones. Good. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's have a little bit of fun. Do you guys have any, any like fun ideas of what a former Hawk would have gotten as an endorsement deal had this been passed years ago? Okay. Yes. So do you guys remember in Austin Powers where I think it's the original one and he's coming out of like his frozen chamber and the lady's handing him all the, like the items that he used to have and he, she yes. hands him the penis pump and he goes, I swear it wasn't mine. I think Puncheros would have been able to do that with uh, Mitch King early on and the pump up song playing in the back. He just like, they're handing him like a pump up burrito. He's like, I swear it isn't mine. You do that over and over and over again. I think that would be really funny. <laughs> That would be really, really I funny. mean, I actually, that's so weird that you said Mitch King because the first thing I thought of was Mitch King and something to do with those beautiful, long, blonde locks that he had. You had to have come up with some sort of promotional item, whether it's like a Great Clips or some sort of haircut establishment in Iowa City. Could have come up with something with Mitch King because those blonde locks that he had flowing all those years with Iowa, you had to, it's a moneymaker. I mean, you had to come up with something with that with that hair and that's really weird that we were both on the mitch king wave simpatico i don't have any ideas i just want my NCAA football back yeah that would be nice you just want the video game well i mean funny that you mentioned ncaa football as i was moving this past weekend i had my old xbox underneath my you know television and my little thing and the movers were moving stuff, and I go, does anyone want this Xbox? I'm not going to use it. I haven't played it in five years. And it's probably because we don't have NCAA football anymore because that was a staple game of mine. I got one more for you guys that I, I thought of. Okay. So I don't know if there's a technically a, a business for this, but I'm sure there is somewhere in Iowa. that It's like a um, like a chair and like sofa restoration company. What about the place where Sean, King used, or Sean Green used to work at? That Wasn't that a furniture place? Totally, but I'm talking about rest, like oh, furniture restoration, restoration. and it could be Fran just breaking chairs in a huddle, and then they restore them. <laughs> but that's for Fran. Yeah, that's not oh. a, an old player, bro. He's our current basketball coach. All right. Well, maybe Matt Gattins is there with him. <laughs> Matty. All right, guys. Just kick things off there on the news that's going on in college sports this week, but let's get into it. We're going to play this week, big deal or not a big deal. This is Iowa and Big Ten related. We're intermingling everything together before we preview the Iowa-Michigan game later on in the show. But basically, it's a very simple premise here. I have a item here, and you guys tell me if it's a big deal or not a big deal. I love this uh, game. It's, it's very, very, very I simple. love games in general. They're just so fun. They're fun. It keeps, it keeps things moving along. All right, guys. So let's kick things off here. First one. Iowa's run game so far. We're four games through this season. It's been a big topic of conversation heading into the season that the run game has to be successful, and by most parts it is. But is it has its success so far been a big deal or not a big deal? Jerry, we'll start with you. Oh, it's been an absolute monstrous deal. I, the, the Middle Tennessee game is is 
game enough. All you have to do is watch that tape because that's what good teams do. They expose you for your weaknesses, and Iowa's been able to establish the run. If you look at it, I'm pretty sure there's basically a straight 50-50 split between how many times they've thrown the ball and how many times they run the ball, and both have been very successful. They have three running backs right now, including a a true freshman that's basically just stealing all of our hearts after last week's game that they can rely on. They have the thumper. They have the twisty, like shifty guy, and then they have this freshman who's just who might be the best one out of all of them. Like, I'm a big Makai Sargent guy, but Tyler Goodson's impressed the hell out of all of us. Champ, I know last week after the game, you mentioned him a couple times. But this is the biggest deal because it takes so much pressure off the rest of the offense and takes pressure off Nate Stanley, and it makes the defense honest. Jerry, you mentioned balance. You mentioned everything, and you mentioned the kind of the 50-50 split between passing and throwing. Iowa has 962 yards rushing and 990 passing yards. Amazing. That is balanced. Champ, is this a big deal or not a big deal for you so far? It's Iowa's biggest deal yet on the season. That's how important the run game has been this year and what we talked about preseason, how we needed this run game to be involved throughout the year, and that's exactly what they've done. Jer mentioned it. They have a three-headed attack with Goodson, Torn, and Mackay. They're literally almost splitting carries a lot of these games. They're getting very equal number of carries, equal number of looks. Mackay probably is getting a little bit more. But it's just wonderful to see. This is a great attack. Tyler Goodson looks like the real deal. I mean, the guy is going to be an absolute stud. I'm sorry for Mackay and Torrin, but he might have to get more carries as the season goes on. That's how good he looks. This is a, a monstrous, huge deal for this offense. And not only the offense. Yes, it's great to have balance. But giving this defense rest. You run the ball, you pound the ball, and you let your defense rest on the sidelines. That's part of the reason the defense has been so good this year. They haven't had to be on the field very much. The time of possession game for Iowa's offense has dominated in most of these games, and that helps the defense tremendously. Absolutely, champ. Yeah, this is a huge deal to me as well. If you look year over year to compare last year to this year, at this time last year, Iowa was averaging 167 yards on the ground a game last year. This year... 218 they're averaging 5.18 yards in attempt so far this year and through four games last year the best average that they had in, a, in any game was 4.7 against wisconsin they were under five yards of carry against northern iowa against iowa state and against northern illinois and they still ran the ball 48 times against northern illinois and still had under a five yard average that game was so trash so for everyone saying that, hey, this this run game is great, but like let's wait to see it like versus actual actual competition. Iowa was blowing teams out last year. They beat Northern Illinois thirty three to seven last year, and they still weren't running the ball like they are right now. And so to me, this is a huge deal. It, it means that that they figured the run game out. They have a great mix, as you guys both said, and that they're they're they figured it out, and they're going to be successful all year long with it. So it's a huge huge deal to me. Totally. All right, next up, Iowa's sack total so far. They have five sacks through four games this year. Champ, is this a big big deal or not a big deal? So originally I was going to say it's not a big deal, but I'm going to say it is kind of a big deal. They need to get a little bit more pressure. They need to get some sacks. They need to get home. The first four games, they didn't do that. Obviously, they only have five total sacks through four games. They're going to need to improve that during Big Ten play, specifically this week against Michigan. They're going to need to get to Shea Patterson. They're going to need to sack him, and they're going to need to do that throughout the rest of the year. Five sacks in four games is unacceptable. They're going to need to have more than double that average per game the rest of the year. Two and a half, three sacks a game is where I want them to be at. Champ, do you know how many sacks they had through four games last year? I do not, but I'm sure you're going to enlighten me right now. I am. It was 13. Well, there you go. I mean, 13 so, sacks is a lot more than five. Jerry, you and I chatted about this a little bit earlier today, but mm-hmm. and I showed sure you that number with you. Is this a big deal or not a big deal so far for you? Shocking. I think this is in the middle. I don't think this is a big deal for playing it by the game and I have to choose a lane. Only because I do truly believe that this is part of Iowa's defensive game plan, at least through the first four games. They're having their defensive line put they're, they're putting hats on hats and letting their great linebackers go and fill in the gaps and make plays. They're staying true to their, their they're staying true to the defense. 
They're bending but not breaking. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing out there. They're making sure that nobody's going to beat them by over-pursuing or anything like that. And on top of it, you had to play an Iowa State team that could probably bury you if you did have to over-pursue on those types of situations. So I do think this is a little concerning that it's only at five, given that we have a guy that we thought is going to be like a top three NFL draft pick. But in the same token, I wouldn't be shocked if Phil Parker's having these guys basically do exactly what they're doing and then open it up a little bit for Shea Patterson, who's been sacked basically, I think it's the third or fourth most in the Big Ten. No, I think you're right. I, I lean towards it being a big deal. And Joe, you mentioned it of not trying to be too aggressive. Well, they weren't very aggressive against Iowa State. Iowa State still had 7.74 yards per play allowed against them without getting home, without causing much pressure, without, without really impacting that game and being super aggressive because they couldn't be. I understand they couldn't be. That, that was the game plan. But Iowa State was still very explosive offensively. In terms of 7.74, that's the, that's the most yards per play allowed since the Rose Bowl, since Christian McCaffrey ran all over Iowa. Oh, and that game was over in the tw- 12 minutes in. By chance, DC, did you run those numbers, though, taking away that trick play? No, I didn't. I, that, I just, I'm just curious what it would look like because, yes, I was – I mean, that a was big, a 45-yard play. That, it wasn't a 99 I don't think there was that many play. yards given up, though. Yeah, maybe or maybe there was a lot of yards given up by Iowa, but, again, they, they buckled down in the red zone, and that's all that really mattered at the end of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, but, that's, we, we, for, talked, we talked ahead, about that in the postgame. Right? It was the classic Phil Parker, Norm Parker, Ben, but don't break defense. It was you're going to give up a lot of yards – so, I mean, Iowa did give up a lot of yards, and I think that was partially by design, to your mm-hmm. point, Jer. But I also think it's ki- it was kind of concerning of not being able to get any pressure. It can open up. I think that's a game plan of, of how to beat Iowa defensively. Yeah, I, I, they can't play this bend but don't break defense against Michigan, against Wisconsin, and potentially against Ohio State in a Big Ten championship later in the year, and Penn State. I mean, those are four games right there that they're going to have to be better defensively and create plays. If you sack quarterbacks, it, it, you can get sack fumbles. You can get turnovers. You can cause quarterbacks to throw the ball too quickly and throw interceptions. Getting pressure on the quarterback leads to a lot of things defensively. Yeah, totally. I mean, Champ, you're totally right. So, I mean, I think, to your point, Jerry, I think it's by design that the sack numbers are way down this year because I think you've had so much so many injuries in the secondary that you just kind of need to keep everything in front of you at all times, which I totally get. You don't want to be super aggressive, but I do think that this is kind of the game plan that's been put on tape on how to beat Iowa is you kind of have to force them quick throws. I mean, it's almost kind of like the Miami of Ohio game plan where they were doing play action to AJ's side to keep him from just bull rushing and making him set the edge and not letting him get any pressure. And that's kind of concerning to me. So I think it is kind of a big deal at this point. All right, let's go. Let's go to the let's go to a Big Ten topic here. Rutgers firing Chris Ash. Is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? Champ, what do you say? It's only a big deal if they can get Greg Schiano to come there to be their coach. If they can't, then it's not a big deal at all. They'll hire some other retread bomb and they'll suck like they always suck. If they can somehow get Greg Schiano to come back to Rutgers and restore what he brought to that program years ago, then yes, it's a big deal. But I don't see that happening, so I will say not a big deal. Jerry, what do you think? I'll say not a big deal because even if they don't land on Greg Schiano, champ, this seems like the perfect spot for yet another Alabama retread with a former head coach that doesn't have anything to, like they just had a terrible run. So Butch Jones is the other name I saw out there that's kind of affiliated with Rutgers right now. It seems like a, a very logical thing for them to do is to get a guy that spent some time with Alabama, have him come in and change the program around. So if it's not either of those guys, then yeah, it really doesn't matter. Rutgers hasn't mattered at all since they've joined the Big Ten, and I don't really foresee them mattering at any time soon. So it's interesting you guys both said that, because I think this could be a big deal if they went away from either of those guys. I think everyone thinks those are the two guys most likely to get it. But isn't Rutgers in a position where they should hire like a Coach Munkin from Army and do the triple option, do, you know... an offense, a, a, a mindset where you're not punting, you're always going for two. So I'm have a coach who's aggressive, who's like very statistically, analytically oriented, and that makes it a bigger, a bit bigger of a deal. You're in the same division as Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State. You know, the who odds, 
Go ahead. Go ahead, champ. Go ahead, champ. Do you know who they, they should hire? What it makes a lot of sense for what you just said is Lane Kiffin. Bring in Lane. That offense would be fun. You know he would get recruits. He's getting recruits at fucking FAU for crying out loud. He Square jar. He can get him at Rutgers, and that and he's a guy that's very analytical. He does do things a little bit differently offensively for sure, and I think that would be a great hire for Rutgers. And, but like even I don't even think that does it. Like I think it's yet to be seen. Can he get recruits to Rutgers to New Jersey, where he's FAU is like very much like UCF when Scott Frost was there. People in Florida are just going to stay in Florida because it's home. True. You guys want to know what I think Rutgers is in one sound? What? <laughs> but and I think that's why you need to go completely outside of the box, generate interest, do something. Be the Georgia Tech different. of the Big Ten. Sure, right? Why? That's not? what you're saying. Do right. it. Yes, do it. Be different. Georgia Tech. Paul Johnson had some successful years with Georgia Tech. Be different. Be different. You can't. And, and the other, the other piece to this is, if you're going to consistently fire coaches before they have a chance to fully get a full five years of recruits in and through their program, you're just going to be redoing it. So be fun, be different. If you're going to keep resetting the clock on yourself. All right. Yeah. Next, next up. Let's stay in the Big Ten. Wisconsin's been on a roll. They even they but they went to Northwestern or they had Northwestern come to to Madison and they they won but they kind of struggled passing offensively. So Wisconsin's passing offense versus Northwestern, big deal, not a big deal. Jerry, what do you say? This is a very big deal because the tape is now out on how to beat Wisconsin. And if you play sound defense, hone in on Jonathan Taylor and make Jack Cohn beat you, it's going to be very difficult for Wisconsin to score enough points. And I truly believe that Jack Cohen is the guy that we saw this past weekend, the 15-for-24 guy who averaged 4.7 yards and didn't really know what he was doing out there. There's a reason that everybody's pining for this backup freshman quarterback. It's because he can actually make plays and that they eventually he's going to be the guy that with a Jonathan Taylor, they're going to win because of that quarterback. So, yes, I think this is a huge deal for Wisconsin because everybody thought that these guys were going to run their way through the Big Ten West. And right now, Northwestern gave everybody the blueprint. Yep, champ, what do you say? I totally agree. I mean, Jack Cohn did not look good at all. Like you said, 15 of 24, 113 yards and an interception. Just a, a very pedestrian, lower than average game. And the tape is out. Like you said, Jerome, I mean, this is how teams are going to beat Wisconsin. They're going to make Jack beat them. I don't know if he can. No, I mean, that was a, a bad performance. He looked good in other games, but he wasn't asked to do much, and they were mainly blowouts. When they had a, pl- a pretty close game against Northwestern for much of that game, he didn't play well. And Northwestern had eight, nine guys in the box for much of that game, and they were making him beat them, and he couldn't do it. He had single coverage through on the, throughout the entire game, and his guys were open, and he was just not hitting them. And and he was throwing – he threw a pick. It's Yeah, the tape's out. So we'll see what happens with him in the future if they're going to stick with him at quarterback. And it just goes to show how limited Wisconsin can be. Like, Jonathan Taylor still averaged 4.7 yards, but that was two yards less than what he averages for the season. And he ran the ball 26 times. It's not like they didn't give him the rock enough. They tried. Right. And then Jack Cohen couldn't make anybody else punish them for having a loaded box. So let me ask you this question, because I agree with both of you. I think it's a huge deal. I think you guys both hit the nail on the head. The tape's now out there. Jay, you said that people, Wisconsin fans are now clamoring for the backup quarterback to get in. Do you think Paul Chris goes to the backup quarterback in the, if the, if this continues? Not against Kent State, no. No, right. Um, it won't continue against Kent State, but like once they back in the Big Ten play. Here's the deal. They have a very tough schedule coming up. Michigan State at Illinois, at Ohio State, Iowa. And if Jack Cohn has two types of performances against Michigan State and Ohio State and they lose both those games, yes, it might be time to put that freshman in. And on top of that, Illinois—I mean, say what you will about them being in the program—but defensively, they're going to play a cover two. They're going to keep everything in front of them. They're not going to let Jack Cohn take deep chances down. And so, if he's not able to move the ball and have any success down, like getting the passing game going, it's another potential defense that shouldn't be difficult to beat, but he might struggle with. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's you're 100% right. I don't even think it's going to take that long, Jerome. If he doesn't play well against Michigan State, they'll probably go over to the backup against Ohio State. I mean, Michigan State's a great barometer. They're probably the best defense in the conference. We're, we're going to learn a lot from that game in a couple weeks. Like you said, Kent State this week, they probably roll over. The backup will get some playing time in the fourth because they're going to be killing them. But, yeah, against these good defenses coming up, we're going to learn a lot about the Wisconsin offense and Jack Cohn. That's an interesting point you just brought up, Champ, about getting Graham Mertz in in the second half of that Kent State game. That could be a really interesting thing if they can get him in at a half, get him ready at halftime, let him go out there, build some confidence. And if they like what they see and they Jack Cohen maybe had a pedestrian first half, then maybe they just roll that right into Michigan State. Yeah, he lights it up against Kent State in that second half. I mean, the, you know the fans are going to be clamoring for him to go. They love that Michigan kid State. already. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I don't think that's going to even happen, right? I don't I don't think Paul Chris is going to put his team under that much scrutiny by doing something like that. It's so anti-Wisconsin. Right. That's why it's not going to actually happen, I don't think. All right, let's get but back he to— he could be Russell we- or uh, Wilson in a freshman body. Sure, absolutely. But I don't think Paul Chris is going to put his team under that scrutiny early. Like, without—unless they can struggle, like, he's not going to—they're not going to make, like, stir up a quarterback controversy in a blowout against Kent State. They're just not going to do that. Yeah, you're probably right about that. All right, let's go. Let's go back to an Iowa topic. We are through four games of the season, which means that the redshirt rule has to now kind of be mentioned, kind of be monitored. So, the number of true freshmen, sophomore who have played, the, the number of guys who have played, is this a big deal or not a big deal as we move kind of into the heart of Big Ten schedule? Jerry, we'll start with you. Not a big deal at all to me. Uh, this is what I expect Iowa to do. Their developmental program. I could care less about red shirts because next year I want to still contend in the Big Ten West. Getting these guys experience now with a lot of these seniors that are potentially and juniors that are potentially going to go to the NFL. It's it, it's an integral for Iowa to continue to put these guys in, and that also speaks to the recruiting classes that they're starting to build. Maybe in the next two or three years, this might be important and a big deal. But right now, with uh, this is like first wave of these new recruits coming in I think it's important for these guys to play let them keep going let them just like let them just burn their year who cares if something happens next year you still have that option if they get hurt or another freshman comes in takes a spot you have that flexibility still it's not a one and done type rule totally agree champ what do you, what do you say yeah I mean there's not really much to add there I totally agree with what Jerish said I mean who doesn't want to see more of Tyler Goodson and other guy you know DJ Johnson on the field these freshmen and sophomore players that are contributing to this team we need them out there and it's it's great for the future of this team it's great I, I don't think we should be worried about oh we got to sit them now because we don't want to burn a year no we're trying to win the Big Ten West. We're trying to win the Big Ten. We play our most talented players, and if they so happen to be true freshmen and young sophomores, then that's fine. I, I want them out there, and I want them contributing, and I want them growing within this program. I'm with you both, and I think I don't think it's a big deal, but I will say like one interesting thing that I was kind of like pulling some numbers, and, and uh, Plan Sick Days on, on Twitter, he has his own tracker that he keeps track of, there's some interesting guys who've only played like one or two games who could be redshirted based on injuries and based on kind of getting unseated. Riley Moss has only played one game. Kevon Merriweather has only played one game. He's currently the backup on the two deep. Matt Hanks has only played two games. Like guys like Tyler Goodson, who's already played four games, great. Like I, we, this offense still needs him. This offense is different with him in that he definitely needs to play. Keep him in there. But like these guys, like if they're still not coming in, still kind of coming back, like that's what that kind of conversation later in the season might come into play because this secondary if some guys leave early in secondary it might be nice to have these guys as a redshirt option to kind of fall back onto for next year so these guys can still suit up and it doesn't count correct they just can't play can't step on the field they can still be suited brilliant yeah absolutely I mean, Riley Moss, that's a good name to mention. I mean, if we're thinking Ojemudier leaves, Hankins is gone as well. I mean, Riley Moss would be a nice guy to redshirt, have that extra year. I know he didn't play great last year, but you'd have to think as he, as he continues on in his Hawkeye career, he's going to improve. Yeah, absolutely. And like, that's kind of the stuff, like, right, like, you guys are saying exactly like on Goodson and, like, guys like Justin Britt, like, guys who, sh- like, flash and who have been, like, made significant contributions to the team while they're playing – like sure, burn it right. We're we're the Hawkeyes are in the hunt for a Big Ten title for whatever else might be coming on along the season. Like keep those guys who are contributing in, and then if like Merriweather who gets who gets you know unseated as a starter and he's only played a couple games, 
maybe he just, unless there's an injury, he has to step back in. But maybe it's worth keeping him. You've, he's flashed a little bit, but let's keep him kind of on, on the on the bench for right now and keep a redshirt year going on. Yeah, the beauty of it is, like you said, they can you know suit up and be on the sideline. So if someone did potentially get injured injured during the game, you can always bring them in and you can prepare them as if he was going to play. You just don't have to use them, you know, in meaningless minutes at the end of games. You just, you know, keep them on the sideline. And if needed, he comes in. If not, then you get an extra year eligibility out of him. Absolutely. All right, let's go back out to the Big Ten. Champ, you kind of mentioned Michigan State's defense a little bit early, a little bit ago in terms of Wisconsin's offense, but they kind of – they didn't play great against Indiana. So Michigan State's defense versus Indiana, is that a big deal or not a big deal? Champ, why don't you kick things off? Not a, not a big deal at all. I think uh, they, the offense played better for Michigan State in that game. Indiana also had a lot, of, a lot of garbage points in that game and a lot of garbage yards when the game was already decided. So I don't think that's a big deal at all. I think the Spartans' defense is still uh, probably the best in the Big Ten and one of the best in the nation. I believe in that unit, the defensive line specifically is an absolute dominant unit and i don't think the indiana game is a big deal at all okay i do i think it's a big deal and, and here's kind of why i was like reading up kind of on this game post game what players were kind of saying is indiana kind of showed how to beat michigan state it's spread them out it's hit them you know space out the michigan state defenders make them cover space and indiana did that really well on short passes under five yards I mean, they were they were on top of, but they also took shots deep. So everything over 15 yards and under five yards. Indiana was 28 of 36 for 257 yards. So that's how you can kind of have success against Michigan State's defense. Keep things underneath, get them spaced out, create some space, and get some holes to run through, and then take your shots deep. When they're coming in to kind of smash that box in to kind of play against that those short throws in the running game, take your shot deep and hit them over the top. They're going to be susceptible to that. Jerry, what do you say? I'm going to say not a big deal for right now, but three of the, their next four or five games, basically their big three games in the East are all against these types of teams. They're going to spread you out. They're going to be able to attack you the same way that Indiana did. So if Indiana is going to be that good at doing it, there's no reason that Penn State, Ohio State, and Michigan, in theory Michigan, shouldn't be able to do the same thing. So, Totally agree. All right, last big time question here. Scott Frost being 7-10 and 10 in his first 17 games. Jared, is it a big deal or not a big deal? Uh, am I a Nebraska fan or am I a normal fan that understands that fo- about football? You are a normal fan who knows that college football has evolved since the mid-1990s. I have been telling you all that Scott Frost, despite the fact that I loved him and his UCF teams, might be the biggest fraud of all of college football coaches. This dude has no success out of one year where he went perfect. And that one year, yes, it was magical. But the rest of his resume you also have to look at. If I had one good year and I earned a $10,000 bonus on my job, but then four other years I sucked and I lost money, you have to start talking about those years I lost money. But you would only be talking about the year you made money. Well, and then I would be a Nebraska fan. There you go. Uh, Champ, what do you think? I think it's a big deal. I think Scott Frost is, like Jer said, a fraud. I don't think he's a very good coach at all. Nebraska has him locked up for a long time for a lot of money. He's on the hook. He's going to be there for a while. I mean, I, I don't see them firing him after this year or even next year and eating the rest of that salary. I mean, so it's a big deal. Seven and ten. I mean, everybody was talking about Nebraska morons, I might add, were talking about Nebraska being a potential West, <laughs> you know, favorite this year. And it's like, did you, did you watch their games last year? How in the hell do you think he Scott Frost is going to turn a 4-8 and eight Nebraska team that got blown out multiple times into a, a Big Ten West contender? And he's proving that he can't. I told you they were going to lose to Colorado. I told you Ohio State was going to roll their fucking asses, and that's exactly what they did this week. That game wasn't close at any point in that game. Ohio State completely destroyed them. And Scott Frost is not a good coach, so it's a big deal. There's some, So today on the, on the Bill Simmons podcast, and I know that's a, that's a hot topic name for a lot of people in, in the Iowa media and on Black Heart Gold Pants. I know some of our own writers don't really prefer it. But he talks about an interesting thing about how writers these days, and the media in particular, try instead of coming up with their own ideas, instead of doing that, they try to come up with what the take's going to be nationally first, despite believing it or not. And I think that's what people did with Nebraska. That's exactly what they did. 
They tried to look at the whole picture and they're like, who's going to be the hot pick? Let me try to do it first. And all of them dropped it on the same day. It was like 10 riders that were like, Nebraska could be them. Yeah, because why Why would you say Iowa or Wisconsin? That so would that's be boring. boring. Yeah, they're, they're boring teams to watch. Blah, blah, blah. They're pro-style offenses. We don't want to pick them. Yeah, well, that's ignorance. I mean, you should watch some actual Big Ten football and form a, a true opinion on teams that you know are going to be good. And Nebraska has not been good since fucking Tommy Frazier was the quarterback. And Eric Crouch and these – I mean, they've been horrible since then. So I don't know uh, this love for Nebraska. It just it baffles me. And Scott Frost fell right into that trap. Everybody fell in love with him because he had one good year at UCF. And it's like the guy's not a good coach, and he's going to continue to prove that to not only Nebraska fans but for, to the entire nation. Ian Chimp, you mentioned it. They got blown up by Ohio State. Everybody made out this game to be a, a proving ground for, for what Nebraska is and how they, com- how they compete with the, re- with the upper echelon of the Big Ten. And they had their doors blown off. They <laughs> at home. So, with at game home. day there. <laughs> with game day there. They were in like the were, first ten minutes. They showed how bad like how much further behind they are the rest of the upper echelon of the Big Ten. And to me, that isn't like I don't I just don't understand how people can be can think that just gonna be fixed in year two with Scott Frost. Like he might be able to recruit, he might be able to get guys to come to, to Nebraska and implemented his his offensive scheme there and stuff and whatnot but to automatically put them on the level of ohio state and even michigan and penn state and wisconsin and iowa it's just they're still so far away and i'll kind of end it on this where we take a break here but scott frost is seven and ten in his first 17 games mike riley was 10 and seven in his first 17 games and nebraska fans ran him out of town what was bo pelini bo pelini actually was good (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Bo Pelini actually won eight or nine games every year, and and they they acted like he had the plague that he needed because they be don't want to be Iowa. I'm pretty sure is what they said. Yeah, yes. well, you're now you know what you are now, Illinois and Northwestern. <laughs> most years, Northwestern. They wish sucked. they were Northwestern. That it they, means they actually got to the Big Ten again. Yeah, you're Illinois, you're Rutgers, you're Maryland, and you're fucking Purdue. Enjoy that, Nebraska. All right. On that note, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. Swear jar. All right, we are back. Guys, we have two more questions. They are both specifically related to Iowa and Michigan, so we'll use those to kick off our Michigan preview this week. Let's start with Michigan first. Josh Gaddis coaching on the sideline last week. Is that a and coaching on the sideline moving forward? Is this a big deal or not a big deal? Jerry, let's start with you. Josh Gaddis could coach from a telephone booth. He could coach from a, a satellite dish. He could coach from Mars. I don't care. He's not a good offensive coordinator. He's a pretender. Michigan's a pretender. This team's a pretender. This offense is going to be run by Jim Harbaugh. By I would say after this Iowa game, Jim Harbaugh is going to have it back. All right. There's a bold prediction. Champ, what do you say? It's not a big deal. You know what a big deal was with Josh Gaddis and coaching from the sidelines last week? They played Rutgers. That was why <laughs> they had such success. Rutgers is garbage. They're the worst team in the Big Ten. They fired their coach after the game, and that's the only reason that they did, they played well. So Josh Gaddis, like Jer said, he can coach wherever the hell he wants to coach this week against Iowa. It's not going to be the same, my man. They're not going to put up those kind of numbers again this year. They're not. They don't get to play Rutgers again. Sorry, Michigan and their fans. You only get to play Rutgers once, so enjoy that offensive explosion. Absolutely. And, and just to kind of close off on that, they still were sloppy. They still had pre-snap penalties. They still had delay of games. They still had illegal motions. Like They weren't playing as a disciplined football team, even with their offensive coordinator on the sideline. Shea Patterson still had a pick. Still had a pick. They still weren't taking care of the football. Like, to me, yes, Champ hit the nail on the head. They played Rutgers. You know how many big plays Rutgers led off after, like, yards after the catches Rutgers led up against Michigan last week? A ton. That's a sign of of a good offense. It honestly looked like they were a peewee football team trying to tackle, like, grown men. It was embarrassing. How many times did they catch the ball for, for three yards and then go for 25 because Rutgers just can't tackle? I was at a bachelor party all weekend, so I don't could really see the score. And I watched this game later, like this week, and I, like I was kind of worried watching. It's like, okay, what did Michigan figure out offensively? And then I watched, it, and I was like, oh, they just Nothing. didn't get tackled. <laughs> right. Yeah, they just they said, oh, you know what, we're not going to tackle you today. Why? Go ahead and try to do that we... against Iowa's defense. Go ahead. Right, and 
And I think that leads us right into how we can get into this Iowa stuff. Nate Stanley's passing efficiency so far this year. Big deal, not a big deal. Jerry, you are the Nate Stanley president of the fan club on this podcast, so we'll kick things off with you. So, DC, I think you have some numbers to kind of explain this. I do. Can you go ahead and give those to everybody before I make my point? Sure. So, uh, on Twitter, there are passing charts that are, are thrown around in Nate Stanley, his completions and, and yards downfield. So, for the sake of this argument, I have combined them into throws over 10 yards, so 11 yards and over, and throws 10 yards and under. And kind of look to see left, center, and right on the field where Nate Stanley was completing his passes. Passes to the left in over 11 yards. He is 20 for 26, 77% completion percentage. Throws in the center over 11 yards. He is 3 of 10 for 30%. Throws to the right over 11 yards. He is 7 for 19, 37%. Underneath routes, so things under 10 yards, he is 23 of 28 to the left. He is 8 of 13 in the center, and he is 21 of 23 to the right. So his biggest bugaboos are throwing deep down the middle of the field and to the right of the field. Jerry, I'll throw it back over to you. Is this a big deal or is this not a big deal? This is not a big deal to me. Two reasons. The first, look at the, there's a big, big field, and he's nailing all of his throws except for a very small portion of them, comparative to the rest. He's making he's throwing dimes all over the field except for some longer throws. Now except all of them, for a third of the field. That's okay. Not, I don't now know if that's now a here's small my second portion. Here's my second okay. point. We don't know how many of those are actually beyond twenty to twenty five yards. So yes, he might have some mechanical failures throwing to the right side, which I do believe that is. I think he opens up his shoulders. I think he's looking direct. He's just not doing the proper mechanics to throw to that side of the field. But it shows that he has that pass to the left side where it's not. Not his progress, like his progression is that's his last side of the progression. So he's tight, his shoulders leading him, and he open he throws it the way he's supposed to throw it. So I do believe that that throws there. I think they've been telling Nate that he has to work on these mechanics for a very long time, and I think that's eventually going to start happening. If he starts hitting those passes, Iowa's never going to lose another game this season. <laughs> well, they haven't lost one yet, but that's. But so are you done or can are you? And one more point is there's only two quarterbacks that start and have over 50 attempts in the Big Ten that don't have an interception. One of them is your boy, and the other one's my boy, and I think that speaks all for itself. That that's all well and good. I'm I've been impressed with Nate Stanley this year, but this is a big deal. He needs to start hitting some deep passes, specifically in the middle of the field and to the right side. Yes, you said this. His mechanics throwing to the right are not there. He opens up his shoulders, and he misses all the time. And he's a fucking senior. He needs to get this correct because, because they're going to need to do this in, in these games, specifically this week against Michigan. They're going to need to go downfield. And you damn well know Michigan and whoever else Iowa plays, they have these same stats. They're going to make him throw the ball in the middle of the field. They're going to make him throw the ball to the right side. So they're not going to let him be in his comfort zone. They're going to double-team guys on the left side of the field and make him go elsewhere. So he's going to have to improve that. I'm not ready to just bow down to Nate Stanley like he's God's gift to earth and tell and just be, oh, he's so great, he's doing everything well. He has played very well this year. I'm going to give him that. He has not turned the ball over. That's a huge thing for this offense, and I hope he continues that. But that doesn't mean we can't be critical and say that he needs to improve his down-the-field passing, specifically in the middle and the right side of the field. I will – I'm kind of rather the fence between the two of you. I kind of agree with both your thoughts here. I think, Champ, you're right. The defenses are going to start to scheme and take away everywhere he likes to throw the ball and make them – make him beat them in the center, deep on the field, and the right side of the field. That's why, the, A, the run game needs to continue to be better so that he has more open shots on the field to, to make those passes. And But, B, like to the other point of that is I don't think – I think that there's two-thirds of the field he's actually hitting plays, so you can't take away everything. So he's still going to be able to find – and as Jared mentioned, he's not throwing an interception. He takes really good care of the football. He's going to find the – other two-thirds of the field, there's got to be a spot open where he can hit somebody. 
Well, that's what he has been doing thus far, and that he has been doing it effectively. So, I mean, if they if they can continue to do that, I don't have a problem with it. If Iowa continues to win, Nate continues to play well, they don't turn the ball over, like Jer said, they're probably not going to lose, and that's what we all want. But I just think he's going to need to make some of these throws. And it's going to, whether it's going to be in Michigan, whether it's going to be the home games against Penn State, you damn well know he's going to have to make a few in Camp Randall against Wisconsin. So he's going to have to start this week against Michigan. Let's see it. DC, you and I talked about this earlier, so I'm going to take a little bit of your thunder if you were going to touch on this. I'm sorry. But if you look at what Nate Stanley did through four games last year to the first four games of this year, he's a totally different guy. And I'm, I'll be honest about it. I'm the biggest Nate Stanley supporter there is. He was not good last year as a junior with all of those starts. This He was a win be, uh, with guy. This year he's a win because of guy. We won Iowa State because of Nate Stanley. It's, it's very clear. He's making plays now with both his feet and his arm. Yes, there is a little patch in the field that he hasn't been able to make that throw, but he also makes sure that throw is either the receivers catching it or nobody else, and that is important. No, you're totally, you're 100% right. He's grown leaps and bounds from last year to this year so far. I mean, he had completion percentages under 50%. The completion percentage against, uh, for 30% against Wisconsin, I think it was. I mean, last year, like that, it's gotten a lot better of the rest of these numbers. And so if he's gone that, that bunch of a leap from last year to this year, to me, like I'm happy with it. But to Champ's point, he's going to have to start making some more of these throws, a few more. Like if he keeps these numbers up everywhere else and just gets these up to 50% as of 30 and 37%, that's good for me. That's two more throws in the center, and that's what? three more in the, down the right side. That's five more completions on the center and the right compared to what he's been at. Like, that's that's doable to me. Why can't why can't he grow more even within this season? Why I'm not can't saying he cannot. For more? I want him to. I'm not just going to be happy with what he is. You, I'm sure you do too, but you don't it, portray it that way. You portray the fact that you love Nate Stanley, that he's the best quarterback in the conference. You've even said he's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. He needs to do better. I understand that he's played well, but as a senior quarterback with the aspirations that we have for this team, he needs to continue to, to continue to grow within this season. We're a third of the way through the season. I want to see growth in the next third, and then I want to see even more growth in the last third, and then hopefully the Big Ten championship, and hopefully a big-time bowl game. That's what I want to see, and I don't think that's You mean the playoff, I think, is what you meant. That Well, that's okay. That's fine. By the way, you also called Nate Stanley a second-round draft pick a few weeks ago. Let's not forget that. I, that was last week, and I I have told you that he's played well, and he is definitely more healthy than he was last year. That's evident. The way he's throwing the ball, that was a big thing last year. The thumb injury, it it prevented him from making some of these throws, and I'll give him that. The the ball is coming out of his hand with a hell of a lot more zip this year than it ever did last year, and anyone who watches football can recognize that. So that's why I'm going to hold him to a higher standard because I think he can do it. Absolutely. All right. We should get we should get to this actual Michigan preview. We should jump into it, but I want to touch on one thing that we didn't touch on at all. And I don't think Jerry knows this is coming, but I'm asking him his thoughts on his quick Big Ten playoff contenders. Is Ohio State finally in your list, Jer? Oh yeah. <laughs> I tried. I tried to hold off for so long. I was trying to be a heel, and I just then they go out there and do that to Nebraska. And honestly, I was rooting for it to happen, which felt weird. But, like, if it comes down to me rooting for Nebraska or rooting for Ohio State, I'm going to root for Ohio State and that amazing quarterback that they have. I still think that his job is super easy. But when you got all that talent surrounding you and you make those throws, I'm all for it. Absolutely. All right, we got some picks to get to, but first let's preview the Michigan game a little bit. I think we both we all kind of agree that Michigan didn't necessarily resolve any issues against Rutgers last week. They just – Rutgers just looked bad. So give me a key to the game for you guys. Jerry, we'll start with you. It's the, it's the secondary, and where they're at health-wise, where they at growth-wise, uh, can the freshmen continue on this path that we think that they're going down? They have to maintain that end of the field. Like We know Michael Ojemudier is going to do his thing, and he's going to lock down an entire side of the field, but the rest of that secondary needs to be lights out at Michigan. 
And if they can do that against this passing game, I don't believe in Michigan being able to run the ball. I think they're going to start cradling inside of themselves and go into the fetal position at some point in that game if Iowa can just suffocate every aspect of the field and stop what they want to do. Because I don't think there's, there's adjustments that Michigan makes. I think they go out there with the game plan. If they can't run it, they fucking fall apart. Swear jar. <laughs> Champ, what's your key? Mine is also on the defensive side of the ball, but it's the defensive line. I think the defensive line needs to get home this week. I think A.J. Epinesa, Golston, Cedric, these guys, Bright Reef, I mean, they need to get to the quarterback. This is a big-time game and a big-time stage. Two ranked teams, they, they have to go to Ann Arbor, and they're going to need to get to Shea Patterson. They need to hit him because when you start hitting Shea Patterson, he starts making mistakes, and that's been the – it is M.O. his entire career. He can't take a hit. When he starts getting smacked around a little bit, he starts throwing the ball up, and then the secondary, as Jer said, can make the plays that they need to. It all revolves around getting pressure from your front four. If you got to bring a blitz every now and then, I'm okay with that. You got the guys, some of these guys back in the secondary that can make up for it. You can bring a linebacker or two and get the pressure on Shea. That's the key for me. I will say the one part of this game that scares me is the Michigan wide receivers. They are super talented. Iowa secondary is still depleted to a certain extent. We will be, Iowa will seemingly be playing a lot of 4-3. So my key is, can these linebackers stick with these receivers when they are in trips, when they're in three receiver sets, when they're in 11 personnel? Are we going to leave a linebacker out there to cover receiver? And how do they do? That is, to me, the biggest key to this game is it, it kind of builds on both your points. Does the defensive line get home? Can, the line, can they help the linebackers in coverage? Is it secondary? Are they going to play nickel? Are they going to put that extra defensive back out there? Or are they going to just let a linebacker roll? Like, that's, that's something a that big needs question. To be seen. Do we think Julius Brents is going to get some playing time on that other side opposite Ojemudier? And are they going to put DJ Johnson in the cash position? That we're gonna have to see. We don't. I don't think any of us know. I mean, I know Julius has been practicing this week. They're saying he's probably gonna be good to go. But does that mean he just slides in to the starting role? Does that mean he's you know playing sparingly? Does that mean DJ slides into the slot? We don't know. We're gonna have to see. But you're right about the receivers on Michigan. That's their most talented group, I think. Yep. All right. Let me ask this question before to kind of transition to our picks. Are you guys worried about this game at all? Joe, you asked this, before we, asked this to me before we started recording, and I think it's an interesting question. Are you worried about going to Ann Arbor and playing Michigan this week? I'll turn it back on you. No, I'm not. I'm really not. I think Iowa should be able to run the football on these guys. I still wanted my Army have 200 rushing yards, and that's what Army does only. And if they couldn't stop Army from rushing 200 for 200 yards, I don't see how they're going to just be able to stop Iowa's three uh, running back monster that they have right now. And I think that's going to be able to open up those passing lanes for Nate. I do think he's going to hit Amir Smith-Marset on the right side for some point for like a 40-yard gainer. And I just really think that the Iowa's defense is too good at what they do. Yes, they might give up some yards to Shea Patterson, but I think when it comes down to it, they're going to give up field goals only. And Iowa's going to be able to score enough touchdowns to be able to win this one handily. All right, we'll get your pick in a second here. But, Champ, are you worried at all? I'm not going to say I'm not totally not worried. So I will say I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a little bit worried. The only thing I'd be worried about is if Iowa gets down early in this game because you know what happens. Then Nate starts to try to force things. Then we have some turnovers. We don't need that. We need to. I would love to get out to an early lead, be able to run the ball early. That's my only concern is if they fall behind you know, 10 points early on that they try to force things, they go away from the run, which I don't think they should do. They need to keep running the ball. They've had success with it. If they do that, I think they go into Michigan and get a huge road win and Big Ten play. All right. I'm 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 not super worried. I'm pretty confident in this game. Let's get these picks, and we'll uh, just see how confident we all are here. But first up, Purdue's going to Penn State. Penn State's a 28-point favorite at home versus Purdue. Jerry, who are you taking? That's a lot of points. I'm going to take Purdue. Just uh, Penn State probably wins by 21, but I'm just not going to lay 28 points. Champ, what about you? Penn State is absolutely rolling. I think they're going to. I mean, Sindelar's probably not playing again. I think Penn State is just is going Rondell to. Is Rondell Moore Purdue. playing? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. I haven't seen. I, if he isn't playing, then it's going to be a, a repulsive victory for uh, Penn State. 
Yeah, I'm going to take Penn State. I'm going to lay those points. All right, next up, Maryland. This line keeps coming down. It's now Maryland's 12.5-point favorites at Rutgers. So Rutgers keeps getting some money but put it on them somehow. Don't know how, but uh, champ, who are you taking? They probably watched Maryland last week against Penn State and were like, why are we favoring them? By I think it started at like 16, 15 or 16. Why are we favoring them? I, you know what? Give me Rutgers. They're home. They got a new you know interim coach this week. You know, sometimes teams have play with a little more energy with a new guy. 12 and a half points. The way Maryland's looked the last couple weeks, they, they just are not looking good at all. So give me Rutgers in the points. Okay, Jerry, what about you? Maryland has just completely fallen apart since that Temple loss. Getting blanked by Penn State. Josh Jackson might be the biggest pretender out of any quarterback in the Big Ten. So I am going to also take the points with Rutgers. I think that was a great point you just made, Champ. You swayed me. These players do seem to get up a little bit for those interim coaches. And I feel like they always somehow win that sneakily, that first game of that coach gets them all jacked up. They want to do it for the guy and maybe help him get that job later down the line. So give me Rutgers in the points. I'm going to take Maryland. Okay. <laughs> Rutgers is bad. He says, screw the interim coach. <laughs> All right. Illinois going on the road to the team that's very looking like it's going to become an 8-0 team very shortly here. Minnesota. Minnesota is a 14-point favorite at home versus Illinois. Jerry, who are you taking? I'm going to turn this back on you, Dave. I want to know who you're picking. Me? I'm taking Minnesota. I just, I've come to the conclusion that they're going to they're gonna. B8-0 coming into whatever game that's after that ninth game. I've just I've just accepted it. Wow, what a reverse jinx by you. Good job. <laughs> okay, now who are you picking? Uh, I'm going to take Illinois and the points. There's nobody more than I believe in than Nate Stanley than Brandon Peters. <laughs> Illinois is going to win outright. Outright. All right, champ, who are you taking? I can't believe you just said I'm in <laughs> shock that you just said that. I mean, that is just a moronic take. There's a better chance that Minnesota wins by 50 <laughs> than Illinois wins outright. Give me Minnesota minus the points. All right. Kent State, we talked about earlier, is going to Madison to this play Wisconsin. Suck. Wisconsin's a 36-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't think any of us are really nervous about Kent State hanging around. But, Jer, uh, who do you got? I'm sure. Give me Bucky. I don't know. These games suck. Yeah, I'll take Wisconsin as well. Champ, who are you taking? <laughs> These games suck, he says. Give me Wisconsin, too. I think they roll Kent State. All right, we're getting to a little bit better games here. Northwestern going to Lincoln to play Nebraska. Nebraska's still a seven-and-a-half-point favorite after oh. last week. Champ, who are you taking? Ugh, not Nebraska, no. <laughs> Give me the point. I don't You're know betting how. with Hunter Johnson? I don't know how they're seven-and-a-half-point Because Hunter Johnson's Northwestern's quarterback. Yeah, but Nebraska sucks too. So, so does they Northwestern. They suck as much. So give me up. T- uh, the hook is the only reason I'm taking the seven and a half. Uh, Jer, who are you taking? <sighs> I guess I'm taking Northwestern just because I hate Nebraska that much. <laughs> this is a game where I will not be watching hardly any of it live. I will rewatch some of it, but I can't. It's it'll be too disgusting to watch. YouTube TV has these like watch the important place things on this feature on it, so that's what I'll be using to watch this game. I'm Perfect. Gonna take, I'm going to take that's, Northwestern. It'll just be Adrian like Martinez fumbling and Hunter Johnson throwing picks. These are important plays, not useless plays. <laughs> well, that's all there is in the game. That's all there's going to be. All right, next up, Michigan State going to Ohio State. Ohio State's a 20-point favorite versus Michigan State. God. Champ, who are you taking? That's a lot of points, but I'm taking Ohio State. Until they prove me wrong, they're the best team. I I might even say they're the best team in the nation right now, honestly. they've re- That's how impressive they've been to me. They have looked just so tremendous on both sides of the ball. I think the Michigan State's offense – Yes, they played well last week. I just don't think they have the firepower to stay with Ohio State. I agree. I'm taking Ohio State and those uh, laying those points as well. Jerry, who are you taking? I'm taking Ohio State to roll. I, Michigan State, I can only love you for so long. Like That Ohio State offense is just legit, and their defense is just as good. All right, that leads us to the big game. Iowa going to Ann Arbor play Michigan. Michigan is a three-and-a-half-point favorite so far. 
Champ, start things off with a prediction. Who, what are, what's Iowa doing this week? First of all, the fact that Michigan is three and a half point favorites this week is a goddamn joke. I mean, do they, have they not watched the, the games this year? Michigan, yes, looked good, great last week against Rutgers. But besides that, have not looked good in any of their games. While Iowa has looked good in three out of the four of their games, I, I don't understand what they're watching for them to be three and a half point favorites. Yes, they're home. But I, the worst this game should be is a pick em. I mean, it should be a straight-up game. Is. I mean, three and a half points is a lot. I, I was going to win this game straight up, so obviously you take the points if you can. Iowa wins this game 24-17 to in Ann Arbor and moves to 5-0 and on the year. All right, Chair, what do you say? This is basically a pick em at a neutral site. That's what Vegas is saying. I don't think they do trust Michigan at home. I think that's why that line's right there in that weird three and a half, well, four, four and that a half. Came, this has come down a significantly since the lines first came out. It was six and a half when these lines first came out. That means all those Iowa folks in Iowa with the legal betting are just straight up putting this number down. But uh, do yourselves a favor, folks. Go take a hundred of your hard earned money and you put a little teaser bet in. Take Ohio State down to 14. Or if you get them at the hook, 13 and a half, and tease Iowa plus whatever, so nine and a half, and just go make some money, you're welcome. What's the, oh, uh, Iowa the wins. Uh, Iowa's winning. I'm going to keep this 30 trade rolling. So Iowa wins 30 to 24. Okay. I also like Iowa to win outright. I think we, we've we hit on all the points so far this show. I think Iowa wins this game 31 to 21. And uh, that's going to do it, guys. Anything else before we wrap things up this week? I'm so excited for this game. I can't wait to go to Ann Arbor and just beat their ass. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I can't believe this is a noon game. It's big noon Saturday, Jer. I know. I know Fox is trying to sell it like that, and I'm kind of glad it is so I can have the rest of my day to celebrate. Um, so, yeah, I'm ready to go. Well, Let's get to Saturday. Well, while you guys are celebrating, I'll be trying to figure out what's happening from Italy. Uh, this is my I'll last show. There, this is my last show for the for next week as well. It's gonna be just Jaron Champ next week, uh, but you guys are in very good hands with these two. Ciao, Bella. Uh, anything else, guys? Before we say goodbye, go Hawks, baby. Let's go to five and zero. Oh. All right. Adios. That's fan of the Italian and, and Champ. I'm DC. We'll talk to you guys. Well, someone else will talk to you guys again next week. Uh, we love you, Z. Go Hawks. Love you, Z. Trick or treat, Iowa City! If you don't love it, leave it. USA, number one.